Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast with Joe and Austin. No guests this week, we're doing another Q&A for you guys. Um, Austin put it out on Facebook and Instagram. I, think. I put a, um, a question box up on Instagram. I haven't looked at them yet. I'll um, have to pull it up on the stories now. But thank you everyone that, that um, put the questions in as always. And we'll do our best to, to get, them, get through them for everybody. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Instead of talking about ourselves today, we'll go right, we'll go right into it. Let's do, uh, uh, let's see. Here we go. First one, um, marijuana's effects on bodybuilding. Kind of a broad question, but I think it's I think that's one of the broad ones that we could probably answer. Yeah. Um I'm not sure what what specifically they want to know about, but uh it seems the normal consensus is a lot of people use it for sleep. Right. Which I'm not honestly not a fan of. Mm -hmm. So and I think we may have talked about this before. I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, but a lot of the time what I see with sleep is as a general aid for, you know, an anti-anxiety to, as a, but as an actual impact on sleep quality, you know, tracked via any type of sleep tracker we typically have somebody use, I generally notice worse in quality. Right. Um, and you know what? I don't think this is across the board. I think there are probably some people that have had bad enough sleep to where if they took it, <laughs> just the fact that they're falling asleep would probably improve their sleep score, right? By yeah. default. But but I think I think the biggest takeaway there is it does have some stimulant properties in some individuals. So it might be not a CNS stimulant like taking like a, you know, amphetamine or something or caffeine before bed, but I do notice some people's sleep quality will uh, change when they take it and not change for the better yes they do calm down yes they're able to fall asleep but generally in these types of people like i look i like to figure out you know why are they not able to wind down what are they doing in their routine that's not enabling them to calm down um, because a lot of the time it's a routine thing yes like in that isolated moment but it's also throughout their whole day it's a daily routine it's not just what they're doing at bedtime because stress that sympathetic drive can be you know it can be from anything during the day and kind of carry over uh so yeah i'm not a big fan to be honest if it's used for sleep if somebody's using it for like general anxiety during the day on occasion i don't really have any beef with that mm -hmm. yeah i am um, i've got an article on my website on marijuana sleep where I, I break down that nutrition that you're talking about uh, nutrition i break down the studies that you're talking about there yeah um and, and yeah exactly long yeah. is that that sleep quality worsens with use pre-bed but if you are an individual that you know much like other sleep uh, pharmaceutical sleep interventions if you require the sedation then poor sleep is probably better than no sleep although that's no way to fix a bottleneck right um Right. If 
if it helps you eat um, and you like using it and you're a bodybuilder, I'd say just use it away from sleep, you know? Um, I, right. As far as I yeah. know, the negative health effects of using it. So, um, yeah, I would just not yeah. take me asleep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, agreed. Yep, yep. I think we had actually talked about most uh, prescription sleep medications in that regard, kind of having that similar effect. I mean, they're different drug classes. They have they work via different mechanisms, but that kind of seems to be the consensus is they they make you fall asleep. They don't necessarily improve sleep quality. Right. Um, let's, uh, yeah, so let's see. Here's one that we've, this one we've kind of talked about before, but we can go over it again. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, narrow down, uh, they're talk- asking about what are the details beyond nutrition training that pro bodybuilders that separate the top pros? And I think what they're asking about is I think the question's actually not worded well. I wouldn't even say top pros. I would just say maybe what separates people from getting their extra, they say extra 5%. So what kind of biofeedback markers and things is what they're asking about. Like what might somebody that wants to go above and beyond track and keep, you know, pay attention to. Yeah, I'll go, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. go for it. I'll let you answer this one. I will probably have a similar answer, but go ahead. Mm. Beyond training and nutrition, then, of course, we have pharmaceutical drug use there. Um, um, I suppose we're not talking about genetics here because we're talking about actions that, or, or things that people action. Stress and sleep management is probably the, the um, least considered but most um, sort of the largest net magnitude of effect when correcting, right? Um, beyond training and nutrition... Yeah, PD use, stress and sleep management, to some very small degree supplementation, um, or probably the the specifics yeah. of the of the aforementioned things. You know, the the specifics of training. If you want that extra one percent of considering um, biomechanical considerations beyond just you know using this movement or that movement or um, specificity within training, or you as a genetically unique individual and those volume, frequency, intensity landmarks that you use and etc etc the nitty-gritty those things i suppose yeah yeah i would agree i mean sleep is like or when we say stress stress is a that's a huge term it's like (laughs) that encompasses a lot of different things you know so i think i think stress is like beyond just tracking things like you know if you want to track resting heart rate or hrv or something like that that gives you an actual number a parameter you can look at which some people like that you know they like having that data um Mm. but it's it's very much going to be an intuitive thing that you have to learn over time right you know so or you have somebody that's like or you have a good coach that is able to you know has worked with enough people and has read enough biofeedback that has a good handle on that because i don't think um just maintaining that total stress load that's really what will make the difference in your progress short term and long term and that's stress you know that's our total allostatic load via training nutrition um any drugs any type of like environmental psychological i mean all that right so right so um let's use um, let's use like q8 as an example here 
um, as as the person asking us about top body. Yeah, there you go. This is a breeding ground of top body. So what happens here different from the rest of the world? Is it some special growth? No, everyone's got access to the same drugs for the most part. Is it the doses that they're using it in? Because no, that everybody, many people abuse drugs and many don't. You know, there, there's just as right. much going on anywhere else. Is it some special food? You, you know, it's not these things. But then we consider the environment where these people are training twice a day in between training. They're brought their meals. They're given massages. They have perfect sleep. Everything done for them. Nothing to worry about. You know, nothing to worry about. And this is the the environment to grow. Stuff that people like Tom Evans talks about when he when he refers to himself as an amateur pro bodybuilder. You know, this is um his huge focus if you ever follow his instagram stories is setting up his day to be as relaxed as possible from his perceived stress right down to his mm. internal stress on the food selection that he makes on digestibility and things like this and environment considerations all all of this you know so i think that's the biggest differential when we're discussing the edge yeah. yeah yeah it is and <laughs> what makes and, you know, in Kuwait, they're obviously dealing with people that are already upper 1% of genetics most of the time, mm. right? So, of course, you take those and, like, these are individuals that are going to progress in a suboptimal environment, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're just, <laughs> they just have that good of genetics. But I think the real trick to all this, too, is learning how to do this stuff and not develop full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder and... <laughs> you know, in the meantime and end up making it worse than rather than better. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like when we, when we talk about feedback, that's the biggest thing with feedback. And like sometimes why I tell people they're probably better off just having a coach is because they have this, they have these variables that they can track, but they're just, they're too obsessive and they, you know, they're constantly checking things, constantly checking things. And that just drives that sympathetic stress all the time. Right. So it's like a, it's a perceived, like you said, it's a perceived thing. So if you're, you know, if you're checking your blood glucose constantly and checking your heart rate constantly and are worried about any fluctuation in your blood pressure or your weight or any of these variables that you're checking closely, you're not really doing yourself any good, mm -hmm. right? You're probably doing more harm. I know there's things and you, I'm sure you do it too with clients. There's certain things that I may start off tracking that I kind of did later on i'm like this probably this really isn't useful for this person or i change it to something else mm. you know what i mean like this some like we don't really need to track this because you obsess over it and it drives you know sympathetic stress so it's like eh, we'll lay off this for a while i do that with myself too i pretty much know what variables i need to track at this point having done it so long right sleep you know so yeah it's a skill yeah, it's a skill. It's a skill you have to definitely develop. Let's see. Uh, let's see what else we have. On. All right, next one. Let's see on this one, I gotta scroll a little bit. Oh, okay, nutrition question. Here's a good one. Um, since I actually just kind of presented on this, thoughts on high intakes of unprocessed red meat saturated fat and dietary cholesterol and their effect on health in general i don't know what they mean by high i mean i don't know like 
if they're talking like they eat red meat five times a day. But um, we'll just say maybe like a, at least once daily consumption of red meat. I don't know if that's high, but let's see. Okay. Well, a couple things on this question. So first off, um, first off, this person had asked me this privately, and I told him to add it to this because it's a good question. But they were mostly worried about, you know, CVD risk or cardiovascular disease risk with their cholesterol and saturated fats. So kind of if we're looking at the main driver of this, which would be, you know, sclerosis, which, you know, actual plaque buildup, like kind of how does that even really happen? So for one, you have to have these, you have to have these molecules in the blood that become usually oxidized, right? So then they're compromised, they can stick easier, but you also have to have a surface that they can stick to. So these arteries or, you know, these, these linings are damaged with inflammation and they're also usually heavily damaged with, um, with sugar or, or excessively high blood glucose that's not controlled. So that's one of the times that they, these really get damaged. That's why people with metabolic disorder really tend to have high cardiovascular disease or people with diabetes. So, you know, if you have, if you just have high circulating cholesterol in your blood, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot. It just basically says that, like, if you go and get your lipid panel done, yeah, it, it does mean something. Like, if I constantly see multiple markers connected, like this person has high blood pressure and they have high infl inflammatory marker and they also have, you know, very poor, like super low HDL, super high. I know LDL, high triglycerides, like these ratios are bad. If I see these things chronically, then yes, um, they're probably at higher risk. But what we really have to look at is, is this actually sticking to the arterial walls and causing any type of problem? Um, and the answer with dietary cholesterol is no. Uh, yeah, you can find research that shows dietary cholesterol is associated with, you know, cardiovascular disease. but chances are we need to add some context to this and chances are like a lot of these people are just can have really bad diets that are also high in refined sugars and they're also probably overweight and they probably also have you know uncontrolled blood sugar and, and all these things that are causing this this plaque buildup so in somebody that is that does not have those secondary risk factors circulating dietary cholesterol doesn't mean that much um and it's also largely genetic. Like there's people that just have genetically higher or lower. I mean, I've seen people with LDL of 300, just genetically they're like that and they're healthy. Otherwise they have a calcium score of zero, you know, and their, their heart is in fantastic shape. So yeah, you got to consider all that. I think the context is very bad. And then saturated fats, if anything, saturated fats are the least, you know, likely to oxidize right because they're probably the most stable um they can be cooked with they have a high smoke point you know so they these fats are i'm not saying that you should eat all saturated fat but they generally do have um they generally do have a very high smoke point they're not easily oxidized compared to an unsaturated especially your polys so yeah um <laughs> yeah, I'm almost telling you the exact opposite of what I'm saying, what you're saying here, that I do encourage some saturated fat in the diet, and I 
don't generally ever worry about dietary cholesterol in the diet if in you know absence of all of these other like all of these other um risk factors so that's like a really short condensed version of of that topic i hope that was the that makes sense yeah I, I absolutely agree with everything you've said there um you you kind of touched on what i was going to mention as like an addendum to that in that we need to be careful drawing conclusions from epidemiological studies that, that are based you know uh, right the, the likely population of, of studies uh, correlating red meat with heart disease excuse me is just a, an awful way for us to have an accurate predictor of anything you know you you can only imagine the people that are involved in those studies the lay person that eats more red meat and the lay person that doesn't you, you know what you know the way that that's going you know right yeah yeah totally. uh, like what what was their red meat consumption like is it i don't know they say unprocessed but i just don't know what they like these studies are just they're correlation studies, which is probably the least, the least trustworthy study model that you could have, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, fuck, if they're all, if they all, if they're eating steak with, uh, you know, like a processed carbohydrate that's cooked in canola oil every time, mm. well, <laughs> there's your problem, exactly. <laughs> you know, because these are the same, like a lot of these these resources that are giving you this information are the same ones that tell you to eat vegetable oils. Right. Yeah. Like, like what the fuck are you, you know, like we're talking about an oil that's not to go down that rabbit hole. We're talking about an oil that's essentially probably already oxidized when you consume it. You know what I mean? It's been sitting on a shelf and it's literally the, the last thing you really ever want to put in your body. Yeah. So you remember the, um, the food pyramid, Oh my God. Yeah. The original one. Well, they changed it. I, I don't know if the newer one's any better. Probably not, but I remember. Yes. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy recommendation. So yeah. <laughs> um, person asking, do, do not worry. Just, um, I mean, as Austin said, you just, I think, you know, deferring to things like calcium scores and echocardiograms and whatnot is, is the, is the way to, to go Oh, 100%. Yeah, you have, if you want, if you think you have multiple risk factors, then you absolutely just need to get the baseline testing that's actually going to show you what's going on. Um, okay, here's one. Um, have you found any new passions or hobbies through your bodybuilding and coaching careers? He says, I know Austin is a fan of psychology, which goes hand in hand with coaching. Um, for the record, I liked psychology before I liked bodybuilding, but they go hand in hand. But have you found any new hobbies or so, passions so, connected so, to bodybuilding? Right, yeah. So that's I think I misunderstood the question there. So through coaching and through bodybuilding, new passions? Um, yeah, or hobbies that were connected. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. No. No, I don't Me think either. so. Jazz is here, like pointing at the dogs, but that's got nothing to do with. Yeah, that's got right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, do. we do. I think a better. Um, I mean, another question would be like, if we have other hobbies or passions outside of bodybuilding, I think that would be a better question, maybe. 
Right. Yeah. I think I think coaches are trying to do as much as they can to get away from bodybuilding after sometimes. Their, their yeah. Day, right? <laughs> yeah. What What are yours then? What What would your um, Yeah. So I think mine are um, big fan of of um, wrestling, all levels, high school, college, um, international. Which I know you. I know England. Because there are countries in the UK that do have like Olympic level wrestling and stuff, but I know that you, the that England does not that I'm aware of. They I've might. Never heard of it? I've never heard of it, so I doubt it. Yeah, they might. They might have an Olympic team. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. So I like that. Uh, motorsports, like different types of cars, bikes, things like that. Um, I've always been into that. Participated in various things in that regard for a lot of years. Those are probably my two main, like, those are sports that I would, I would keep up with, or at least, you know, watch highlights from or stuff like that, that aren't bodybuilding related. Um, and then, yeah, animals, I love my animals and stuff. So, I mean, that's not like a hardcore hobby of mine or anything, but I do follow the motorsports and, and wrestling stuff pretty diligently as much as I have time for yeah, I always forget that you're into the motocross stuff. I saw you commenting on something the other day about tires. Oh, uh, that was a car thread. Yeah. Yeah. That was about cars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do like, I do like cars as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so mine would be the only, if I'm not um, doing check-ins and I'm not training, then I'm doing dog training stuff. This is something that I got into started as just general obedience for our dogs and then as with most bodybuilder types i couldn't stop there and it had to keep right. to the next level so uh, and then we started doing like working dog training or dog sports training as well so like um i don't know if you've ever because i know that you're into your dogs i don't know if you've ever followed any dog sports like um ipo or, or french ring things like this if not you should search that on youtube crazy um, I, I, dude, I appreciate, I appreciate anything that takes a very high level of skill and time. There's a lot of stuff that I'm, there's a lot of stuff that I'll see it and I'm just like, wow, that is amazing. You, you know? Yeah, you will love this stuff. If you just search um, French Ring on YouTube, you, you'll see and watch some of the highlights. Um, amazing stuff that these dogs do. Um, so we did, we do a lot of that and now, as of more recently getting into protection training with dogs that's fun as well and, and a very and a completely it's do you know what it's like bodybuilding when you look at their forums <laughs> people are arguing about the best way to do stuff and but it's oh yeah as in-depth and um fascinating and it i've realized it's just bodybuilding it's doing the same thing every day over and over and over again and getting slightly better at it just with your dog you know yeah yeah but there's but i think that bodybuilders think that they're in like some isolated situation where that's the only the only sport or endeavor that's like that when that's actually pretty much all of them that's everything in life to be really good at it i think right <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's cool so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to add that to my list so i i do have one of my other guilty pleasures is i'm a huge fan of arm wrestling that's is that a weird one yeah i didn't know that no i got into watching it and i thought you would think like it's so simple 
when you think about the concept of it, but there is so much skill that goes into it. It is absolutely incredible. Like I'm like, how can there be so much technique and nuance into something so simple? Yeah, I bet. I bet the technique because you see, um, you see videos of smaller guys taking out dudes with huge forearms on arm wrestling and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's well, and the reason that I got into that or or liked watching it because I saw some of these expos where there were bodybuilders and stuff, and there were professional, there were arm wrestling events, and these arm wrestlers were like, like there was one where one of the top guys was, you know, he's probably two hundred and forty, two hundred fifty pounds, and he's like beating you know, hop for Bjornsson at arm wrestling, who's like 450 pounds. Yeah. It's like, wait, there's got to be something to that. Like, I know the dude's got to be strong, but wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. Technique. You know, that's how Ian Valier broke his arm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. He's, he's yeah. On the podcast. Yeah, that's my, that, I think I wouldn't even, I wouldn't want to try it. <laughs> First my GH joint or something doing that, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those guys definitely have a lot of wear and tear, elbows, shoulders, and stuff. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go down to the next one. People are going to be shocked that we're not just staring at our glucometer all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And that's good advice for others. Don't stare at your glucometer all the time. Right. God's sakes. All right. Estrogen question, which is probably unanswerable, but we'll <laughs> try it. I, your ideal range figure on cycle to optimize muscle building in terms of estrogen. I can answer that. Well, yeah, I, I know what your answer is going to be, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just, just as high as you can get it as yeah. <laughs> before, you, before you encounter side effects. Sans ancillary drug use. Because um, yep. I, had yep. this, I had this good consult this week. Um, goes, man, you know, you, you were saying on, on that, on the Half Nappy podcast to take your test as high as you can, man. I've got it up to two grams. I was like, what? And then he goes, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm using like a gram of Mastron as well. I was like, exactly. So this is the All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so consideration here. Um, here's a cool anecdote for you that I saw. Um, this was a, this is actually a client. So they were doing a, they were doing a cruise phase. Okay. It was going to call it quote unquote cruise. Cause they did have a, they did have test and, and Primo in there, but they had taken the test down from, it was 175 a week. Okay. You know, split into a few applications and they took it down to, I believe a hundred a week, which a hundred milligrams would still put some people probably like mid to high, yep. depending on the person. Okay, so you wouldn't be low with 100. You'd be at least mid-range. So anyhow, so they did that, but then they added 50 Primo on top. So still 150 milligrams of total. And their estrogen dropped to like a 10. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And their test was still like 600. Jeez. That's so there you go. Like it's a powerful thing. Like if the, manipulating that ratio, like it doesn't take as much as people think it does. No. No, no, no. I was actually a little. I was actually a little taken back by that. I was like, "Wow, that's that's a pretty big." That was. A, I expected it to definitely shift, but it was a pretty big shift. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I would say to this guy, um, asking the question, just um, don't 
rush in with this, just like use testosterone only and slowly creep that up. And then you'll know where your threshold is, you know, and then if you need more drug load, just take it from somewhere else. Right, right. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, and that's where we talked about this recently using a titration method. So that would be go back and listen to, uh, it's probably, probably the last episode before this, maybe mm. somewhere around there. Okay. So I don't know. Oof, this one's long. Um, this, let's see. Um, oh, here's a better one. What part of bodybuilding culture do you think will change most drastically or bodybuilding culture or information do you think will change most drastically in 10 to 20 years? If you look at back at advice on forums from years ago, most of the dosages stack recommendations are comical. Do you think that the trend will continue moving forward or do you think that some areas will evolve quicker? Okay, well... Uh, well, I mean, we've definitely, I'd say a lot of things have definitely changed in like at least the last five years in terms of recommendations, but you'd be surprised because I think the individuals that follow people like Joe or myself or, you know, the people that we have on the podcast, we're still not the majority, right? The way that we think is still not the majority and because you can go to nine out of 10 groups on Facebook and it's still going to be the same stuff that you read on the forum. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it literally constantly, like just on a constant basis and even in some of the bigger groups. So, so I, I'm not going to say that it's like going to completely evolve into, you know, what we're like stuff that we're talking about here, but yeah, it will it will continue to evolve some. I think one of the problems is like anything else, if you're presenting information that's different, like if that's really different or that's or that maybe you and only 5% of other people are presenting it, other people don't want to accept that, right? Because it's they're like, well, that's, you know, that's weird. It's never heard that before, whatever, right? So, and I think that's anything kind of innovative or outside the box is that they're just, that people just have a hard time accepting it, but you got to really think like the stuff that the stuff that Joe and I talk about on here is not even, it's not outside the box. It's just basically good sound logic based on the mechanisms of how things work. Mm. You know, they're just, we've, <laughs> you people actually take, people actually take the time to learn the mechanisms of, you know, how things work, then they can understand, like, it's very easy to understand the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I don't know in 10 to 20 years, I don't, man, I, I don't even know. I'd be curious to see just like what the whole climate is in, in 10 to 20 years. I mean, the, as much as we've changed in five to 10 years, I can only imagine yeah. where we'll be. I don't know. I think, um, we're, we're starting to run into a problem here that, um, we've gone from a, a real difficult position of access to information especially when it comes to like drug use but it's super slim and um, like i remember um maybe 10 years ago now yeah 10 years ago now i i really struggled to find good information in fact i didn't find good information on steroids i found awful information 
and and I followed it. You know, um, we, we've gone from that to um, now too much. So right. you bombarded yeah. from every angle on Facebook and Instagram and everything, and uh, it can be difficult to know who to listen to and and whatnot. And if it carries on that trajectory, there's just going to be information everywhere. I think this is why I am so keen to push the sort of idea of don't listen to anybody unless they're providing you with qualifying evidence of their statements, you know? Um, right. So, yeah. So hopefully over time we see that improve and the accountability improve because there's a lot of just nonsense, you know, just a lot more. There's, there's a lot more good stuff, but there's also a lot more shit. Um, so yeah, I'm not too sure. It's a very difficult question. Yeah, I think now you're you're 100% correct in that we have all this information and that we do have people that anyone that can that can fucking read can regurgitate it, right? Mm. It's so now we have a lot of people regurgitating but don't understand the mechanism and can't give you the why and they can't apply or they can't pivot when the situation changes that type of thing so it's and i actually made this i kind of painted this picture the other day too with the uh with like the naturopath or like the hormone field and especially with females because that's you know i deal with a lot of those too and it's becoming just so prevalent that all these people are just experts and i'm like whoa 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 i'm like you guys and and I'll be the first one to say if I'm not comfortable with something or I think that there needs to be like doctor intervention or something, then that, that's what we'll do because you're dealing with people's, you're dealing with serious stuff. You know what I mean? It's their health issues and they're really serious matters. And you can't just, I can't just jump online and read an article about PCOS and think that I can cure everybody. Oh man, yeah, this is, a, this is um, something I, I worry about now. You know, I see on Facebook, sign up to my class here to learn how to solve PCOS. Like you're saying the things like this, you're like, ah, you know, this is a, a bodybuilding coach, you know, it's not a health professional. Um, right. And coaches are moving more. And you know what? I mean, this is coming from somebody that I have positioned myself somewhat um, above the realm of a bodybuilding coach, but I definitely don't consider myself able to speak on matters like that. Um, and, and I, we see more of that over time in the line between bodybuilding coach, you know, physique coach, starting to address adrenal health and come to my seminar or, or rather pay for my educational service to fix this. They're the things that kind of get me a bit like, ah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know what, and I do, that's like a lot of the information that I put forth and some of my like mentorship things and we our caveat is always that we're not doctors and we need to understand where the limitations are we also need to understand where their comfort zone lies um, and like I'm relatively comfortable with a lot of these things but this has literally been years of me learning this stuff mm -hmm. you know like you can't I, I encourage everyone to if there is a seminar you want to do or a class or something, that's okay. It's fine to do that, but you have to understand that that doesn't give you, I don't necessarily think that that qualifies you to go out and just do it right off the rip. Like you need, <laughs> you need a little more experience and understanding. So that's a, but yeah, I think that's a problem just with that. The information in general is people read something one time and they think that they're, they're qualified.
to do yeah. something. And don't get me wrong, this is not me saying all coaches should just coach bodybuilding and just worry about muscle gain and fat loss because, you know, you can look at any of my content to know that I don't think that. The thing that worries me is about the positioning as like a medical professional. Sign up for my ebook on how to fix this, you know. That, um, yeah. you know, although I, I actually think quite the opposite. I think coaches should be putting out good material just like, just like you do, you know, on, on adrenal health or PCOS and things like this. But it should yeah. be presented with evidence and with that caveat, like you said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, and, you know, and even in some of the stuff where we go deeper, like in the mentorship and things, I mean, I'm always, I always tell people that, you know, it's like, look, we can't, there's some things we can't do. There's certain testing we can't order. We can't write prescriptions. We can't do these things. Like I've even seen people as going as far as to go out and tell these people to get the drugs that they would otherwise be prescribed from a doctor for these issues. I'm like, Whoa, you got it. <laughs> like that. We've got to take a step back. Like, you know, I know some of the people, you know, some of the people that I work with on like these seminars and stuff that we go to, we all have a network of doctors normally that we, that we'll refer to and work with. And I think you always need to have that stuff just for not only for like legality, but you know, and just being, you know, sound with your practice, but also just for credibility and, and making people, sh you know, show people that you're serious. But yeah, I agree with you. I think there's just going to be a lot of, we'll probably go through a wave. Eventually people will just like anything else, people will be like, okay, so-and-so's bullshit. This person's good. You know, I think now really the skill that people need to develop is deciphering good from, you know, good stuff from bullshit versus like, finding stuff to read because the stuff to reads out there everywhere yeah so that's probably the that's probably the next 10 years <laughs> okay that's a good one yep um somebody asked about egfr so some little kidney health stuff. They asked, well, what is it? Um, what can lower it and how to bring it back in normal range? Are there any supplements to take? Um, yeah. So EGFR is estimated, uh, glomular glom. It's hard to say. Glomerular, isn't it? Yes. Glomerular. Yes. Yeah. Filtration rate. So I just, I just call it GFR and they will make it easy. So um, as a kidney marker, this is probably, this is probably one of your more accurate kidney markers just because we get, it gets a little too dicey when we deal with just bun or creatinine numbers when we're talking about bodybuilders. Mm. So um, GFR is a good marker and it will show filtration rate of the kidneys and it's, it's, very accurate even if like re regardless of a person's muscle mass um, really the biggest thing with gfr is the hydration thing you know so if you're seeing like fasted fasted lab work and stuff you can see lower gfr from dehydration but outside of that that is a pretty accurate marker that's actually one of those markers where if i'm seeing chronically low gfr that's one of those things that actually worries me yeah because we like a lot of things are correctable and rest like rest and some supplementation and and 
you know, changing some other parameters, we can fix them. We start dealing with kidney function, lowered kidney function for long periods of time. And, you know, that's trouble. Um, the kidneys are not, you know, they, they will not regenerate. They, they do. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say I've never seen a GFR go up because of they will. But if we're talking about people, generally they'll look at stages. So in kidneys, there's like a stage, there's like a stage one, two, three, four, I think five, it goes up to, mm -hmm. uh, I think they consider, if I remember correctly, they would consider like a GFR under 30 to be pretty severe loss of kidney function and like 15 or 20, 20 to 15 and under you're like pretty much in kidney failure. Um, that's not to say like, oh, I'm a bodybuilder and my GFR is 32, so I'm fine. Like, no. So I I normally like to see it above. So 50, I, I believe um, 60 and up is where they basically, what you'll see on most labs is like a, as an okay marker, 59 and up or 60 and up. And I, I mean, I pretty much want to see everyone in that range. This isn't one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, my my hemoglobin's a little elevated because I take because I take you know extra testosterone, but that's okay. I'm like, nah, I'm not really cool with your GFR being really low. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what GFR is. Uh, do you you want to hit the next part? What what kind of stuff would you uh, avoid? What well, in terms it, of Renal yeah, I think they ask they ask drugs. So, I mean, they're I mean, they're asking about PEDs. So, well, I mean, all, all PEDs that we use are going to drive some renal toxicity to some degree. But it does appear that boldenone is the worst offender. The others seem to be somewhat much of the metric. Um, so I would avoid boldenone, and I would always include an angiotensin receptor blocker because they are, of course, renal protective. Um, yeah. That, that's the only thing I consider. I mean, it's just another case of um, use the the least, you know, get the most from the least. Uh, I know this is something that gets batted into people's heads and people don't necessarily want to hear it, but this is a case mm -hmm. of like understand that as androgen load escalates, I know you can't see it or feel it, but there is going to be some renal toxicity occurring there. Um, mm -hmm. Kidneys is one of those things that you want to be precious of, you know, because if they go, you're, you're toast, really. Um, there's no yeah. in that. Um, liver, less so. Um, so I, I would just, you know, vehemently avoid boldenone, firstly. Yeah. For those listening, boldenone is EQ, if you didn't know. Somebody, there'll be people that won't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, equipoise EQ, boldenone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Methylated orals as well, you know, minimize exposure to yeah. them. Yeah. So... I always kind of tell people with kidneys, it's more of an accumulative thing. So it can be, it can be the drugs, but it's also usually other things that are left unchecked, like high blood pressure. Yes. Right. That's, I think in bodybuilders, a lot of your kidney damage is, it is coming from your anabolics, but it's also coming from like low grade things that are chronically unchecked. So like inflammation for long periods of time, elevated blood pressure that's never addressed. Um, you know, carrying excess, like carrying excess fluid because you have high blood pressure for very long periods of time. So it's taxing the kidneys, you know, so like weighing your water balance. So I think those are probably the things that really 
are more problematic for bodybuilders, um, which another reason to use your ARVs yeah. because you get both benefits. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a good question though. That's a very, that's a very important marker. Yes, for sure. I think we may have, we may have like one more. Let me see. <clears throat> All right. This threat keeps disappearing. Oh, nope, there are no more. No more on that thread. Let me check my Instagram thread. There might be one more on here. Yeah, so this is this other one is the one we're probably not really going to be able to answer very well. Um, this one's extremely long. It's individual's name is at the at the POVs. So the POVS. I would just suggest that you probably reach out to myself or Joe and do a consult. It's an extremely long, like their whole entire life's history and PEDs and estrogen and DHT and all kinds of, like it's very long. Okay. So do a consult. Yeah. Do a consult with one of us. Sweet. I've got some questions here that people are putting on the Instagram. Okay. Um, but we can quick fire these. We don't need to do, do long ones here. Um, first one is from Alvin CTV. Um, is it important to have varieties of vegetables instead of sticking to one type? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. That's you easy. To yourself, if you go on, if you use a, a chronometer, if you go on there and put one vegetable at a thousand grams, and then go and look at the vitamin and mineral tabs and see the the lack thereof. Um, of the majority of them um, and then keep adding in vegetables until they're all ticked off and then you will see um, that different food types contain different uh, micronutrients of varying degrees thereof yeah yeah colors color variety that's like a, that old very simple that's a very simple thing include colors and it tends to have more nutrient variety overall so the next question is from Paolo Salsa. Um, best ways to play around with carbs in meals for sensitivity. I'm guessing he means glucose sensitivity. Um, talk chrononutrition slash metabolism. Well, I can knock out the chrononutrition if you want. Um, Do it. Chrononutrition for me is a bit of like... The, the thing is with the studies on chrononutrition is that all of the ones that I've seen have been uncontrolled. So um, they're giving people more food at a specific time of the day um, and they see some benefit. Um, but we don't really know what's driving it because like, is it the fact that the, it's the chrononutrition is synchronized with their specific chronotype or are they just eating less at a different time? You know? Right. So if you eat loads in the morning, you might just habitually eat less in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Keep going. Um, until the studies have been calorie controlled for the placebo and otherwise groups, I don't think we can make any conclusions on this. Yeah. I think chrononutrition in general would be a very hard thing to control and actually apply anyhow. Yeah. Um, like just like, 
from a practicality standpoint, I just don't think it really is very practical. So, and it's nothing that we can't just get through observation, right? From just doing things and eating different foods. Right. Best ways to play around with carbs in meals for, um, for glucose sensitivity. Mm. Play around. Yeah. So, Do you mean timing or I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, timing, I mean, the, the things we know about timing are kind of revolve around, you know, glute four translocation, like when you're going to be more likely to use different energy substrates. So like your intra workout window and stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could apply that stuff. That's not anything really like Joe and I aren't going to give you like any groundbreaking information on that. That's not already out there. Um, but I mean, beyond that, just eating also carbohydrate type, like eating carbohydrates that digest well, that don't, um, that maybe keep your blood sugar stable or stable in terms of, you know, how it peaks, how it valleys and how you feel eating it. Generally things you digest well, um, will control blood sugar best. Any type of digestive distress is generally going to drive higher blood glucose anyhow. Mm -hmm. So, um, especially when we're dealing with like higher amounts of carbohydrate, it's not necessarily that, yeah, I eat 200 grams of carbs from one source and my blood sugar is way higher than another source. Is that because the sources are, you know, breaking down to a different end product? No, uh, there's probably, there's a difference in, you know, time they break down. Right. But usually it's generally just related to like how your digestive tract handles them, you know, whether it's from an enzyme standpoint or how they ferment in your gut, depending on what you're eating. So just eat things that digest good. Right. There you go. Yeah. So this, um, this happened to me this week. I was having some, some appetite issues. So I swapped all of my carbohydrates just to Jasmine Ross and fruit basically. Um, and I'm, I'm just using 20 units of Lantus right now. Um, on 900 and, let me check 990 grams of carbs per day yeah, every that's day. pretty good yeah that's pretty yeah, good and it's um i'm getting three hours post meal and and you know you feel that blood glucose starts to and you're like cool dipping off yeah between fasted is between three and 3.3 n mole so you know very low um and this this dropped like a sack of shit when i swapped just just to the jasmine rice because i know i eat a meal with jasmine rice and it's, it's like I've eaten nothing. Right. Just fly. Yeah. It just, that's an, that's another thing about like digestive speed. Like sometimes, sometimes those highly processed carbohydrates that might digest faster on paper, they don't always, doesn't always translate, translate that way because they, they drive inflammation a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so Sometimes they do like, you know, like a, something basic, like a plain type of cereal or something is going to like fly right through you, mm -hmm. you know, but when you get into some stuff, it, it doesn't necessarily translate that way. Yeah. That's a cool observation. I've seen that too, where it's same amount of carbs, but one of them, it just literally feels like you ate nothing. Yeah. Just, I also, I also dropped six pounds. Yeah. Well, and that was probably, again, that was probably just, you know, uh, you know, some of that GI, inflammation and like you know intra intra gastrointestinal water that probably fell off yeah exactly yeah that's crazy 
that's a big that's a big difference okay next question is from kane edgar um can an average person do well um following something like german volume training no i'll do that one i suppose um <laughs> yeah i suppose you could i mean i suppose anyone you say average i think depending on probably the less experienced you are the less important your specifics of your training scheme are just because yeah if, as long as you're you have some type of progressive scheme you're probably going to make progress so i would say if you're a beginner to you know a novice or something yeah it's probably okay you know um and also based on like how, what kind of intensity you can generate. And also like, what is your perceived intensity? I think perception of intensity definitely matters, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose I could probably do it. I could probably train German volume training myself, like the lowest tier where you just do the 10 sets of 10 and I'd be done for the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that probably the literally probably be it. But, um, I think you'd have a harder time with a more advanced person uh, with that type of volume and that many uh, points close to failure. Cause I know it's generally shorter rest periods and you're, you maintain a weight that's a lot lower, but uh, yeah, it's just person. It would be person dependent. It has, it's like you, you could definitely accumulate volume and, and still have some, Per, you know, progress there week to week, but it has its limitations. Exercise selection is pretty limited. Um, it doesn't really have much variety within the sessions. So biomechanically, like you're kind of limited on what you can do. Because like I said, if you're advanced, you're probably basically going to do 10 sets of 10 of one exercise and you're going to be toast. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be out. So yeah, I mean, you could, you could for sure do it. I'm sure it could, it could work. Yes, yeah, you, you can do it. It's just going to be hella inefficient, probably. Um, right. Yeah, inefficient. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> for a ranked beginner, it's probably okay because you can probably do anything. You get away with it. It's just right. it's difficult. It's difficult to progress, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I probably wouldn't recommend it, but can you do it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one's from Gazeby Fitness. Um, Trend Ace Daily Equivalent Dose. The 200 milligrams training per week. Uh, just go and check the ester weight and then look at the difference between the two. If you really care, yeah, if you're really worried about the difference in the ester weight, yeah. then you can go I, check it. Yeah, actually, I should have said, bro, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, if you're that worried about it, it'd probably be, I mean, you wouldn't even be looking, you'd be looking at milligram differences, if if any. It would be pretty small. Yeah, but you can search Esther weights. I've got them saved somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, this one's from Nick Stratton. Asked one on Austin's already, but here's another. Any good... <laughs> he has two. He has two on mine, but okay. <laughs> he loves it, man. Um, yeah. uh, any good books to check out? I'm trying to read more. He's yeah. already sent me... He already sent me a picture of four books this week that he bought. Is it is this a client of yours? He is. He's a client. He's uh so Nick, shout out to Nick. He has been working with me for a little bit now, but he lost oh man, I'd have to look back. I, he lost something on the like the effect of like 150 pounds. Um so huge weight loss. Um 
you know, life-changing stuff, right? right. So awesome, that's pretty, pretty cool. Books. Do you have any books? Anything? Um, I've, uh, a book that I've recently enjoyed was Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Okay. Very good book. I'd recommend okay. Um, I don't know if he means bodybuilding books or what. No, I, well, some of the books he sent me weren't bodybuilding. He, I told him to pick up some psych books if he liked that topic that wasn't bodybuilding. I, I told him that most of the bodybuilding stuff he's going to be able to find without a book. Yeah, I don't. I often yeah. get asked that. What's the best books for learning about steroids? I'm, I've never read no. a steroid book. Never. No, never. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, anything psych-related. I think you picked up that book called, have you ever heard that one, The the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Yes, Jasmine's read this. One of Is my, it good? I've uh, never read it. One of my clients actually bought it for Jas. Uh-huh, I've never read it. I don't read books, I'm going to be honest, sorry. Well, I, I don't read books. When I say I read that book the other day, I, I didn't, I listened to it on a dog walk. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times. I've, I've done book, yeah, audio book. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have time to read, man. Which sounds no. Actually, what I mean is, I don't prioritize it. I should say that. Um, yeah, yeah, me either. I just, yeah, I, that's just not. That's not a form of learning that I find like very time efficient, and I don't find reading like relaxing like some people. I'm reading, and then I realize that I've read two pages and not actually read it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 I'm like you. I'm just. Yeah. Here you go. A good book for him to read. Read the women's book. Yes, that is a good book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you could, that's a lot to fucking unpack. That's a lot. Well, I actually <laughs> have read the woman's book, both volumes. Me too. Yeah, I've read it. Um, actually, no, I have the audio book. I do. Yeah, you should try. It's hysterical. Like, at first, like, listening to this being narrated because it's so complex. Tell me it's not Lyle. No, I wish it was. I mean... <laughs> I'd pay extra for that. I'd definitely buy it if it's low. <laughs> no, I think it was just some like, it was like a Kindle, like the Kindle app or whatever. Um, yeah. But man, if it was Lyle narrating, I would, I would pay double, sincerely. <laughs> right. oh, Next question. That's a good one. Go for it. Um, this is from Sinclair Fitness London. Um, BPC157, would you recommend to fix? slash um heal leaky gut ah okay i've never seen it in leaky gut i've only seen it for um like gut inflammation yeah yeah it uh it will help so basically like a lot of the a lot of the gut literature kind of revolves around inflammation which with leaky gut or we want to call it like barrier syndrome it's uh i mean it is inf i mean every gut issue is inflammatory driven mm -hmm. any any of them all of them are whether it's like a lot or a little or a long time or short period or whatever but yeah i mean hypothetically yes i mean hypothetically yes you can just do it orally because it's already a gastric peptide anyhow um I truthfully like I think the issue lies in like getting good stuff and a lot of people don't notice 
some people notice a ton of result from it. Same thing with like soft tissue repair and joints and stuff, or they notice a lot of result and other people notice nothing. And mm-hmm. probably really comes down to what they're getting. Um, so yeah, I mean, hypothetically, I know, I don't know about there, but there's actually a few places here now that you can get it prescribed. Ah, you said this. No, that I doubt that's ever going to, that's probably going to be 15 years from now. We might make it. Yeah. It's not common, but I know there's a place that's actually in Kentucky, tailor-made pharmacy. They do it. Um, there's a few other places that I believe prescribe it. So it's supposed to be, you know, pharmaceutical grade. Um, but I mean, that you can get, you can get the real stuff. I mean, there's, you could get, find the damn place that actually provide like supplies, the websites and everything and get it direct. Mm. And that's, uh, yeah. Oh, actually for this person listening, um, there's a fairly new systematic review on leaky gut. Um, leaky gut mechanisms, measurement, and clinical implications in humans. Um, I'm doing a bit of content on this for the website, so that's why I found that. But very okay. good. So check that out if you are suffering from it. Um, did they did they acknowledge that it was a thing, a real thing? Yes. Oh, there you go. Well, that's a that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, this is the interesting thing here. It's um. um I'll have to send you over the abstract. Yeah, send it to me. I might, I'm getting ready to do a gut uh, presentation before too long, a pretty in-depth one on all kinds of stuff. And it's going to, we'll have leaky gut in there for sure, or at least some of it. I'll just send that to you on Facebook. Right, the Thank next, you. Question, next question is from Maritz Lifting. Um, tips for signing up first clients. Thanks. I'm, I'm guessing they're asking how how to you get your first clients as a coach. How did you get your first clients? Do you remember your first client? I do remember my very first client. Yeah, because it was a friend. <laughs> I was very lucky, and the, the thing was, it was like prepping them as well. The my, I'd never prepped anyone. I never coached anyone, and then I had to prep someone, <laughs> and it was that was pretty crazy. Um, now, this is a very difficult spot to be in where people want to see what you've done with clients before they sign up, but you haven't had any clients, so therefore they don't sign up and the, and the cycle continues, right? And right. So the first thing you probably should do is work with some people for free. Get some experience, get some evidence to show people on social media. And, um, and then, as long as you do great work, put out good content and show your value, people will sign up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's almost always going to be people that, you know, friends, coworkers, like stuff like that. That's always where you're going to start. And guess what? There's probably gonna be people that are going to be a complete pain in the ass and don't stick to it. And you're going to have to deal with that stuff. Like that's at the beginning, that might be part of it, but yeah, it will be a long time before you refine your client list down to <laughs> people that yeah. you want to work with. You have to work with a lot of people that you're looking at the checking and going, oh my God, <laughs> for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but there's, and don't let anyone tell you, like I've seen people that say, oh, you should never, you know, you shouldn't 
do any work for free off the bat, always value yourself, blah, blah, blah. It's like, unless you're giving bullshit marketing, like you're, you're just trying to sell yourself, then you're lying to people because you just don't have experience coaching people. So yes, right. it's okay to do stuff for free at the beginning. Um, I did. I'm sure you probably did before. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's fine. Just, just do it. Provide us always, you know, always make value your number one priority. Right. And that's the thing with pricing. Price yourself where you're valued at. And to be honest, if you ain't coached anyone, you haven't got any value. So no, even yeah, even if you're knowledgeable, you still you have not coached people. I you can read and you could have as much knowledge. You could literally have as much knowledge as Joe or myself or anyone else, but if you don't have any practical experience. Yes. Yeah, it's it. coaching and, and being intelligent is, is not the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, last question here is again from Nick Stratton. He loves the open people. <laughs> Absolutely loves it. Um, Love it. <laughs> he says, um, okay, last one, I swear. Opinions, opinions on, I can never say this word, Rawoskaline? Rawoskaline? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Alpha Johambine. Right. Yes. Yeah, I just call it that because I can't pronounce. I can't pronounce shit for save my life sometimes. Yeah. So you've used this, haven't you? I think this is. Yeah, I don't know if that's even really like a, like something that's available in the UK or not. I'm not sure. Uh, Um, uh, uh, Well, I don't know if it's legally available, but I have clients use it and bought from UGL. Um, So yeah, you can get. uh, I mean. It's really the concept is is still an alpha receptor, um, you know, supplementation. It's it's Johanbein. It's just better tolerated. Generally requires uh, generally requires a lower dose. Um, I mean, those are kind of those are the kind of things that it banks off of. It's you know normally known as alpha Johanbein. It's an alpha adrenergic, you know, antagonist. Um, I mean, does the same basically does the same stuff. It's just seems to be a, um, more, a little bit more bioavailable and it also is better tolerated. So people that typically get like the anxiety or the, like the edginess that they would get from you, Uhembine is very variable. Like some people doesn't even like, they can take like 30 milligrams and they're good. And other people literally, I mean, you've seen it. Some people take like two and the little teeny two and a half milligram tab and they're losing their mind. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a, it's an option if, um, if you can't tolerate Yohembine, is it any better? No, it's not any better. You can still accomplish the same thing really with, uh, with you, you know, Yohembine HCL. You can accomplish the same thing. You just may need a little bit more, uh, and you can you can accomplish it. So more of a tolerance thing. I do have some people use it. Like I know that uh, it's used in the morphogen the morphogen products that contain Uhembine. We use the alpha just because that way more people can use the products. You know what I mean? Like it's just more widely tolerated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's it, man. You nailed it. I, I do remember seeing some some research on this where it um, had a higher potency. Yeah. At the alpha receptor. Yeah, so which I think is why they 
we normally when we dose it in the products, it's almost has about half dose mm. is about what what the uh, and you know what Ben, the owner of Morphogen, I bet you he would he probably knows their research like the back of his hand. He's super versed in all the ingredients and stuff, but I know he really likes it. Yeah, I've never used it, but um, maybe I should next time. I mean, I could slam. I could probably take fifty milligrams. Well, you took you took like two hundred, didn't you? Two hundred and fifty. <laughs> two hundred and fifty by accident. Yeah, but that was crazy. Um, but I survived, so at least I know if I ever accidentally take like two caps instead of one, I'll be like, this is going to be a walk in the park. Right. Oh my goodness, there's like car alarms going off outside. Someone robbing you. Didn't think that happened. No, no, no. I'm making sure I'm, I'm gonna walk. <laughs> you hear it? Slightly. I need to make sure it's not my vehicle. Kind of sounds like it is. Oh god. I don't think anyone's robbing. Nope, it's gone. I don't think it was anyone was robbing me. I think somebody just who fuck knows out here. People we're out in the country, like people shoot guns and stuff. There's like loud noises. Fuck. I'm feeling a little bit more like you now, Austin, because <laughs> our new house is not attached to another house. Right. And yeah. And yeah. You have a big gun. <laughs> not probably not as big as yours. Well, we call it a yard. You guys call it a garden. Garden. Yeah. Yard is like prison. Yeah. No, yard's like your house. Oh, the house is the yard. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Garden, garden, yeah. We were talking about, we were actually talking about that the other day with, with somebody else because we were talking about England and slang and we brought up garden versus yard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you not have a garden? Oh, yeah. Garden for you. Garden for you is like where you plant. Yeah, you plant like vegetables or, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't plant flowers we, it would be more like vegetables and fruits and things like that yeah no garden's just the space out your back door <laughs> yeah 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 yep i got you i understand i know what you i know what you mean when you say garden <laughs> you come back to england at some point man see it properly we will i was i was talking to uh that guy matt christman came up the other day and <sighs> did the ther did the therapy and he's like man we need to get get over to the uk I'm like well i have to talk to joe because i'm sure we could set it up and get oh. some sessions oh man i know exactly where you guys could do some seminars and whatnot and you know places where it you would be uh it'd be cool to do a three-piece just do like a three-piece seminar type thing you know you me and then have a have him as like a therapy modality right to add it to something completely different than what we're talking about mm. Yeah, there's that, that, the audience for it, man. Here you go. Anybody, anybody listening, um, put on your story, repost that you're listening to this, and say, yes, we want the seminar in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make it happen. I mean, assuming assuming there's no, like, bullshit travel restrictions or anything that we'd have to deal with, I'd definitely like to come back. Yeah, it seems like um, we're slowly opening up back here now is everything just back to normal for you uh it's state by state most we're it's still most places you just have to wear a mask it's kind of like the yeah. um some places there are a few places that you don't have to wear any masks like a couple a few different states and then there are like 
maybe two states in the entire 50 that are shut down again, which let's not talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they might as well fall off the map, but anywho. Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds similar to here. It's just like if you're in a shop, you've got to wear a mask. But apart from that, well, depends what tier you're in. So each sort of constituency is in a different tier of restriction. Um, Which you know what I I don't I'm not saying I think there should or shouldn't be restrictions, but I like that. I like that they actually took the time to like to like separate it a little bit because here it's like you've got all these places like out where I live. Why the fuck do we we have like eighteen hundred people where I live? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like, come on, seriously. Like, why do we have the same restrictions as they they would in the city that has you know a million people? Yeah. Right. So London's going to be completely different to like Cornwall, Devon. Right. Know? Which it should it should be. I get if you're going to imply any type of restrictions. I mean, I guess that should be how it would be. Yeah. yeah but they just need to be done with all of it. So we can just fucking get on with ourselves. Yeah, well, we're in tier two. I don't know what that means, and and I mean the gym's open, shops are open, so I don't, I don't really know what, what isn't happening in tier two. I think you're not allowed to see more than some amount of people or something, but I don't want to see anyone anyway. So, no, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, that's the easy part. Good. Anyway, man, I'll let you go. We've been on pretty long. So um, thank you, everybody, for your questions. They are greatly appreciated. Um, as I said before, please do share this to your story and tag me and Austin in it. Um, and keep your eyes out for the next Q&A if you uh, want to have your question answered on here. Also, please do check out the sponsors linked below. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.